All right, welcome back to Shoot Me Straight with Eddie Gallagher and Dave Fields. Uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Michelle Bailey, who uh, has been a friend to our family for quite some time now. Um, you know, I know we've met a uh, handful of times, and I, I remember meeting your husband uh, years ago. And I know that uh, during my whole thing, you guys were very supportive uh, and very like dear friends to my wife and helping her get through that. And uh, I know that you have a um, a tragic story to tell, but also um, a story of overcoming and uh, doing something about it. Um, so uh, without further ado, I'll go ahead and introduce you. Michelle, thank you for coming on. Um, and it's a pleasure, pleasure and I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It's such an honor to be here today. Awesome. I don't know anything of your background. <laughs> Dave doesn't know anything about anything ever. Ask away. Ask away. Were you born and raised around here? Did you move here later on? Uh, No, I wasn't born and raised here, but I I think it should almost count because I moved here last century. So Scott and I moved here in 1994. And so literally this is the 30th year that we've moved here and been on 30A. Wow. Yeah. Changed a lot. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. The two-lane road that it used to be and how quiet. All our friends in Destin were like, why are you moving out there? There's nobody there. And we're like, we know. That's why. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, five and a half million people figured it out. Yeah. And still figuring it out, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not wrong. This place is a, uh, it's a bubble. Um, It is. It's probably one of the um, best bubbles to live in. So I I can't blame them. Yeah. So where were you from originally? Alabama. I was from Huntsville, and Scott was from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And how, then when did you guys meet? We met in March of 1994, first date in May of 1994, and then uh, he worked for a construction company that moved him to the beach in June. Oh, so wow. we'd had a handful of dates before they sent him south. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys met at a fine establishment. Fine uh, dining. Uh-huh. Fine Absolutely. dining establishment, yes. yes I believe it's, it's called, called Hooters. Hooters, yeah. Yes, it's called Hooters. <laughs> My mother is going to be mortified. She couldn't believe I put that in our first son's baby book. And now the world knows mother. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But I wasn't the typical Hooter girl. And uh, he wasn't the typical, you know, customer either. He was the cute guy at table 13. All the girls wanted to go out with him. He came in every Friday with his best friend, uh, Chris Smith. And they'd have beers and a plate of wings. And um, one thing led to the other. And he asked me out. And, of course, I had to vet him, make sure he wasn't asking out whoever was waiting on him. Yeah. Because that seemed to be the, you know, way things went at the restaurant. But no, he had never asked anybody out. And so um, it was kind of love at first sight because his uh, best friend used to say that there were little Tweety Birds, like, in Disney over our heads. Mm-hmm. We'd sit there and talk to each other. So he, he was a special guy. How old were you at that time? Oh, my gosh. 24. 24. Okay. 23. Well, yeah, 23 when we first met, turned 24 in June. All right. Uh, and I'm 53 now, so long time. How uh, how long did you guys date before uh, Not getting long. married? Um, we got engaged within six months and were married the following October. So, nice. Yeah, it was quick. Yeah. Was it one of those feelings like, yep, this is it. We're doing it? Yeah. We okay. knew. Yeah. We knew. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. So you guys got married and then from there... Well, they kept sending him back to the beach. So in the nature of construction, he would mm-hmm. come down, he would build a condo, um, and he was a superintendent, and then they would send him back home, and 
he'd be home for a few weeks, and then before you knew it, he was back down to the beach to build another one because things were booming in the 90s, back when everything was getting built on the Gulf down in Destin. Yeah. I had just started my career as a court reporter. Do you guys even know what that is? Oh, unfortunately, I do. Uh, Yeah, that's a dumb question on my part. You've seen a lot of court reporters in your day, which is a shame. (laughs) That's another podcast. (laughs) That's such an interesting job Um, because, yeah, you're just pretty much – Typing, take, yep. And I did all verbatim. freelance work. I only did one pre-murder, pre-murder trial, and I, I was like, no, I don't, I don't enjoy this. So I did all freelance work, which was really interesting because it, I never knew what the background was going to be, what the case was going to be about, whether it was medical malpractice, personal injury, automotive. Um, so it's really interesting, and I got to travel a lot, which was super fun. But there was none of that here. So we actually commuted. So I lived in Birmingham, and he lived here, and we went back and forth. Thought we'd do that for a short period of time after we got married. It turned into seven years wow. that we went back and forth. So I know 65 like the back of my hand. Yeah. So yeah. you guys you guys had, uh, I wouldn't like it. Your first seven years, sort of like long distance yeah. type uh, relationship? Absolutely. So I think yeah. we kind of dated when we got married. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Those long distances relationships, especially after you're married, can be challenging. But I also, like, if you can make it past that, then I think that strengthens your marriage, uh, you know, a lot farther than if you were, you know, just together living every day. Um, just there's something about it. Um, and I know a lot of uh, military spouses uh, know what I'm talking about when, when Absolutely, I say that. they do. I have such respect for all the military spouses out there with what they have to do. It's a way different, obviously, than us by choice. And you guys, y'all don't know who's in harm's way, you know, in your everyday. So it's amazing what they what they do to support each other, the families that go through that. I have a lot of military friends because obviously there's so many bases here. And yeah, I served on the. Um, Emerald Coast of, um, Association of Realtors Board. I was past president a couple of years ago, I and mean, everybody on our executive committee was military but me. So I learned a lot of uh, language and acronyms and <laughs> the talks. Sorry about that. <laughs> what it was yeah. it? <laughs> that one and optics and um, SOPs. And, yeah, we uh, – mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the military is uh, not short on acronyms, that's for sure. No, neither is the real estate world. (laughs) I've learned that as well since uh, Andrea (laughs) took up real estate. Um, Yes, and she's doing amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's she's awesome. She's killing it. Um, So you guys, uh, long-distance relationship for seven years, um, and then from there... Got pregnant with our first child and still commuted for the first year and a half. And I finally went, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And I, I came home and was home with my oldest son, Cole, who's 21 now, and mm-hmm. then, um, what did I do for a minute? I think I opened a scrapbook store with my friend Chrissy Wainwright across the street from the outlets. It was called Scribbles and Scraps. That was back during the Creative Memories boom uh, <laughs> where everybody was scrapbooking in their spare time. And, oh, yes. Uh, we had that for three years, but I went from one to three kids during that time period, and the babysitter was making more money than I was. And I'm like, well, this has been fun, uh, but we might, <laughs> we might not need to do this anymore right now. So went home with the boys for a while. Had Brett and Tate during that time frame. Brett was born in 2005. Tate was born in 2006. And um, Scott continued to work in construction during that time. He and his brother actually opened um, Bailey Concrete Structures and went out on their own as a subcontractor during that time. And then the economy collapsed in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And we had to file bankruptcy, lost everything. Uh, So, like you said, you go through a lot in a marriage. You go through a lot in 27, 30 years. Oh, yeah. Um, the highs and lows. The highs and lows. You're in your 40s. You've got three kids under 10, and now you got to build it all back. 
And so here we had to do it again. He took a job. We were in Louisiana for a year, which was amazing. We called it Mayberry with Hot Sauce. Uh, he was working with the uh, Corps of Engineers on the levees over there for a year, but we never saw him. He was gone six days a week, working 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And um, we came back after a year of that because he got an opportunity um, with a company called Perry Formwork Systems, which basically I had him dumb it down for me. I'm like, what is that? Because he did all this concrete work, and he called it the Jello Molds. So it's basically the Jello Molds where you build vertically in construction, and that's what they used to pour the concrete in to be able to build the walls and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And we thought that was going to be great, but the economy hadn't quite recovered enough for there to be cranes in the air like there used to be when we first moved here. And so we had to start traveling again for work. And before we knew it, he was gone five days a week again, Tampa, Orlando, and then they relocated him to Maryland. And so now I'm single wife with three kids under 10. Yeah. And he's going back and forth. And that turned into two and a half, three years Wow. Um, culturally, it was just so different up north, and I didn't want to be 17 hours away from family, so we tried it on for size, and ultimately, I asked him to make the sacrifice and come home. I was just getting started in real estate, too, so I was like, I think I got, I think I got something here. Let's, let's come back home for me. I moved yeah. to you. Will you come back home for me? And he, we're, uh, like, we're at, Mar- is it Maryland, you said? Yeah, that you Jefferson, guys, uh, Maryland is Jefferson. where he had a place, um, okay. but it, I don't remember where. Uh, the headquarters were for Perry, but it was close to Jefferson. Okay. Yeah, yeah my parents live in Maryland. Uh, oh, but okay. They live, uh, it's like out in the country. Okay. Um, which it's so beautiful. It there. is. It's, it he is was pretty. a happy hunter. He was kind of mad at me. Yeah. I wanted him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> he got real snow out there. I had some big bucks. How, uh, <laughs> so during that time, I know that Scott was, you know, obviously having to travel um, a lot to do work and provide for the family and everything, and, you know, you were at home with the kids. How was Scott's, um, like, attitude during that time? Was it like, this is, I got to do what I got to do um, to make sure you guys are taken care of? Um, Absolutely. That's just who he was. He had yeah. an extremely strong work ethic, whatever mm-hmm. it took. That's what he'd do. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's tough. I mean, those years of having three boys, two, <laughs> three young boys. It was really quiet at my house Yeah, that I bet. <laughs> And and then having to file bankruptcy and move around, that's tough. Start over in your 40s with, with three under 10. So it sets you back, but it's just an opportunity to pivot and reset. And mm-hmm. I kind of think yeah. that's what life is, is a series of opportunities to reset and having to let go of, uh, I think people get stuck sometimes, and this is what I thought things were going to be. And it's how fast can you transition from this is what I thought life was going to be like to this is what it is, and then finding the opportunity in those setbacks. Yeah. Well, that's uh, I think that's part of being resilient, yeah. right? Um, Absolutely. Or um, that's almost the definition of resilience is are you able to pivot from what's happening in your life and make something out of what's going on to you right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you look back on those years now and go, man, I grew so much as a woman, as a mom, as a wife during that time? I think so, maybe. I mean, I don't reflect on it too terribly much. It's just um, you do what you have to do, and I did what I had to do. It's just we were always a team. That's how we approach things. I was very blessed that my husband, whatever, we were interchangeable. Um, My best friend from when I was three years old was a nurse, and she worked in the critical care unit at Huntsville Hospital. And she gave me the advice when we became parents of be interchangeable. 
uh, because she had too often seen something happen to mama. It was a car wreck or something. And not only is everybody devastated because they've lost mama, but dad doesn't know where the binky is, doesn't know where the blanket is. Yeah. And now the kids are completely discombobulated because they don't have any structure because mom did everything. And so I was very blessed to be uh, married to a man that believed in that wholly. And anything I did, if I traveled with work, which I did quite a bit still, even as a court reporter and then in real estate, because I did a lot of volunteering in the real estate field also in the industry, um, he just stepped in. And he did whatever was necessary, so we made sure we were interchangeable. So it's just kind of whoever needed to step up in the moment is who stepped up in the moment to support, you know, the other one in their career in order to be able to move forward. Oh, that's awesome so- word. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a uh, what a marriage should be, you know, mm-hmm. able to uh, take each other's spots when needed or and then also there to support each other um, because I think – like you said before, being married that long and, you know, you're going to go through highs and lows. Uh, that's why they say for better or for worse, you know, when you're taking those vows. And I think that, you know, it sounds like you guys took that uh, quite literally and we're like, okay, we're going to get through whatever's thrown our way. Um, and then one of us is going to pick up the slack while the other one, you know, takes care of the kids or whatever. So that's awesome. It wasn't easy. I mean, we had our moments like every marriage does. We used to say the back door was propped open, and we took a minute to go, you know what, as long as we think that back door is even slightly cracked, we got to shut that sucker and, bad, you know, just deadbolt it. it does, it's not open. It, it's not an option to leave. Yeah. You know, because it does get hard, and it would be easier to leave, and your friends divorce, mm-hmm. or, you know, you think whatever, and you have to just, we remember, we'd sit down and talk about it and just say, back door shut. How are we going to figure this out? And then, of course, we also did some counseling and all that stuff in there. And basically, one of the therapists had said, if you're not going to divorce him over it, start getting over it. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, because that's the truth. That's a good therapist. It was a great therapist. I've had several. <laughs> they've, been really, <laughs> they've been really good. They give you little nuggets like that because it's the oh. truth. Um, you're going to have to work through it. How long are you going to hang on to it? Process whatever the thing was. But if you're not leaving over it, you know, and, and really what should you leave over? You want to set that example. I'm not saying people should stay in bad marriages or anything like that. There's circumstances that you yeah. know, things just aren't what they should sure. be. But I think, <clears throat> especially nowadays, people tend to give up just a little bit too easy, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so I mean, marriage is work, right? It's and work. there's nothing wrong with going to counseling during your marriage because that's just showing, like, I'm willing to put in the work to, you know, make this happen. And I mean, I, Andrea and I have done the same thing throughout our our marriage. We've gone to counseling uh, because, every, you know, there's certain things that are just thrown at you that both of you probably don't know how to handle at the time but so you go to a third party and be like hey help us resolve this um and it's always been beneficial uh for us you know and i i advocate counseling to married couples all the time like it's it's just part of part of the deal you know you you have to if you want to make it work if you actually love that person then you have to put in the work and go do it um I couldn't agree more. Living with somebody that's not you is a challenge. You know what I mean? Because they are (laughs) not going to do things the way you want to do them or the way you think they should be done. And if you can just let go of the expectations. And that's some of, you know, when something like what happens with us happens, you're going to relive everything. And that's one of my biggest regrets is I couldn't be more just let it go. You know, but there's seasons in life. We were in very busy seasons, Mm -hmm. you know, um, (laughs) really busy seasons with lots of ups and downs. But I cared about things that didn't matter in the end. And you hear that all the time. You know, there's a whole, uh, what is that book series, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff from back in the day. That there's, I mean, he wrote a gajillion books about this. There's all that advice that's out there and we hear it, but it just kind of goes past us. 
I think, you know, and that's one of the things. I have a lot of people. One thing about being a widow is it weirds people out. They don't know how to handle you socially or sometimes it's awkward. And I had to figure out it's really more about them than me in a lot of situations because they see me and realize it could happen to them. Yeah. That was 54 years old. You know, this prime of his life, best shape of his life. This shouldn't have happened to him. His cancer was extraordinarily rare. And so I think it's just I'm a walking testament to what's not supposed to happen, and people don't know what to do. They're well-intentioned. They just don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And so when you don't want to say the wrong thing, you don't say anything, and that can leave – you know, someone feeling like an island at times. I'm, so, I'm sure. I've yeah. been pretty vocal about trying to help people understand. I blog about it on our Caring Bridge. I started a Caring Bridge when uh, Scott started going downhill, and I know we'll talk more about that in a minute, but people wanted to know what was going on, and I couldn't keep up with who I'd told what to or whatever, and a friend had set up the Caring Bridge for me, which is a great site that lets people – it's one place. You can log in. They can do meal trains. They can do all kinds of stuff with it, but it let me uh, update people as to what was happening, and then after he passed, people wanted to know how the boys and I were doing and I was just pretty raw like I will I called it my digital diary it became pretty therapeutic and I would kind of forget what all I wrote on it but I would just put it all out there tuck it up under my bed so to speak and then I would run into people in the grocery store and they would say something and I would be like how the heck did they know that and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah I told the world I just kind of forgot anybody read it yeah that has that's always like a an awkward feeling sometimes when like you do stuff like that, like I'm just going to put this out there and then you don't realize how many people you're affecting or how many people are actually reading what you're putting out. And when they run into you on the street and they're like, Hey, and they bring something up and you're like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. That's right. I did say that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I used to wear a ring around my neck. And that was like literally somebody in line at an event was like, they grabbed my neck. I was like, oh my gosh, is that his ring? And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? It's like being pregnant and people touch your belly. It's like, you have to ask. Yeah. You have to, you have to ask to do Social that. etiquette, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, uh, sounds like you guys were like really busy for a long time during your marriage. Did that ever like slow down eventually? Uh, Not really. Um, You know, we had started to feel that probably right before the pandemic, we had started having those conversations. Um, But when you're having to start over again, both of us starting new careers, he came back, he had to start over again. You know, he had worked for McCrory Building for 20 years. He had Bailey Corp for over 10 before they had to file. And then he went to work for other people and trying to find his spot actually moved positions a couple of times was difficult for him he's an entrepreneur he was a business owner and that was my goal was to get him back out on his own um the second in command didn't really work work too well for him so i needed to <laughs> we were gonna chip and joanna it up we were he was getting his gc license and his realtor license and me being in real estate we were like okay let's do some flips let's do some things and he was in the process of uh studying for the test actually when um he got the diagnosis right before the pandemic Mm-hmm. And that was at 2000... 2020. 2020. Everything happens in March of 2020. Um, we got his diagnosis. The permit came in for us to build our house, which we were fixing to start building that he was going to be building for us. And the world shut down. Was there... Oh, go ahead. Did, did, something, did something trigger... Did he have some symptom or something that made him go to the hospital? He did. He had some pain in the left side of his neck. And we actually uh, were misdiagnosed originally... The beginning of it, we thought it was a abscess tooth. Um, and I can remember, gosh, what kind of, was it? 
Godsmack or uh, Rage Against the Machine. I got him tickets for our anniversary, and we'd gone to Pensacola to a <laughs> for, concert. Uh, God's Rage? <laughs> yeah, it oh, was nice. really awesome. Yeah. Uh, we went over there in October, and he wasn't feeling great. And he was like, I think I've got an abscess tooth. Looking back on it now, I think it was the symptoms of the cancer. Had The tumor had gotten big enough in his neck that it was starting to affect things. Uh, his was a salivary gland cancer, was it, which is a very, very rare cancer. And um, so we, we had gone through a series of go to the dentist. Uh, they had said, oh, you got to have your wisdom tooth out. He had made the appointment, went in to have the wisdom tooth out, and the oral surgeon was like, this is not... This is not your tooth. I don't know what's going on. Something's going on. Um, but it's it's not your tooth. Mm-hmm. And so we went to an ENT, and from the ENT, we got referred um, to go have an MRI. And that's when they did the first scan, and he was stage four. Stage four? He was stage four. His um, report came back. This is March of 2020 with innumerable tumors in his lungs. And we were actually diagnosed. We, and we slept being pregnant. We, we had cancer. We were pregnant. Um, but he had... Uh, they said lung cancer because it was just so many tumors. And, but the world had literally shut down, so we couldn't get to MD Anderson. Oh. We couldn't get anywhere to be able to be seen. Uh, we were very fortunate. Um, my broker at the time had a friend who was married to the best um, chemo doctor here, Dr. Mose Hayes, and so she was able to get us in for an appointment here. And then we went up through some more friends that got us in with UAB and then got us in in Huntsville at the Cancer Treatment Center there. Huntsville told us it was also lung cancer, came back to UAB, and they said, no, this is head and neck. This isn't lung. And I I argued with her. I'm like, no, no, you should. I wish y'all could have seen this book. I had it tabbed and collated. I'm a little bit type A. And I had all the reports and all the things and a big old binder that I walked in with. You know, because I was just trying to wrap my brain around what we were dealing with because it was all so foreign to me. But I had 10 years of medical malpractice experience of listening to litigation Mm -hmm. as a court reporter. And so my whole mantra is trust but verify. I'm going to hear what you're telling me, but I'm going to check it and I'm going to make sure I know. Um, So after the diagnosis, I used to joke I got my cancer PhD from 10 to midnight every night put everybody to bed and I was online and everything yeah. people told me not to do to go on <laughs> <laughs> to go online but you have to you got on WebMD oh yeah all of it you yeah know? and I didn't find a lot because salivary was such a rare cancer yeah I mean you don't hear about salivary cancer I've or, never heard about I it think. ever yeah um well and he used to dip and so I had said I won't have a family with you if you don't stop you know I'm like because I'm not going to have something that's going to take you out of this equation right. what was he me. doing he would dip Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so his, all of his jeans pocket had that little circle you know, from the skull can. I'm like, nope. Are they saying that's pr- the primary? Nothing to do with it. Yeah. Okay. Nothing yeah. to do with it. Really? Mm-hmm. So what What? Are, what do they say, like, was the cause or, why, or, is it, or is it just like people just get it? You know, people just get it. But I honestly, not to sound too um, conspiracy theory, but I think there's something in the water up in Birmingham and where they lived. And literally there was some litigation and I think a congress congressperson went to uh, jail for it and in the area called Tarrant back in the day. But his mother had kidney cancer and breast cancer. Mm -hmm. His brother has a slow growing leukemia, which he's had for years. Mm -hmm. And about six months after Scott was diagnosed, got a very aggressive form of bladder cancer. And then Scott got salivary gland cancer. So that's five cancers in three people. That's not All normal. from the same area. All from the same area. Uh, but and then not it's also um, genetic. in genetic, like, No markers. Fam- because no? they're all different cancers. Because I was worried about my boys. Yeah. I'm like, do I need to go get tested? What do we need to do? Is this genetic? And they said, no, this is crazy. That's what this is. But it's not genetic. 
What what was it like? So at the time, and I know that, you know, when he was diagnosed, it was during the pandemic. Um, I mean, how much of a struggle or pain was it to actually get him to be seen, um, you know, during that time? Because I know, you know, that was only, what, four years ago now? Um I I remember, you know, just you know, even having to go to the hospital or whatever. It was it was like a whole rigmarole of, oh, are you vaccinated or you cannot be seen unless you're vaccinated. Was there any of that going on? Absolutely. Even being able to go with him, uh, that was a difficult thing too. Having to be masked, having to get in. If we went to MD Anderson, they wanted us to quarantine for 14 days, and it was pretty emergent. We're like, we don't have 14 days. You know, we have to get him in and get him seen right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were very fortunate, like I said, to be able to get into UAB, uh, to Dr. Um, oh, my gosh, her name is leaving me now. But she um, she was amazing. And they were kind of open for business. You know, they had their protocols in place. But uh, she coordinated with Dr. Hayes. So all of our treatment was handled here with Dr. Hayes. And she really consulted after she discovered it was head and neck. Then she consulted with Dr. Hayes, and we were literally able to do all of it off of that bayou, which was huge, mm. and, until it metastasized to his brain, which happened within six months. Jeez. And so, um, but you wouldn't have even known that Scott was sick. He was so resilient. He, I mean, like, he gave him the really bad chemotherapy that made him lose his hair and get really skinny and all the things. That was the first round. Mm-hmm. And then when he rebounded from that, he was out playing golf, never missed a basketball game, you know, was building the house, all of the things. And then in November, my aunt and uncle had come to town. We hadn't seen them in forever. And we were standing on the dock that my sons and Scott built our dock. Our dream had been to live on the water from when we moved here in 1994. And we had not been able to achieve that dream the whole time that we lived here. And we, but we had found a lot about seven years ago. And we'd held on to it and had decided it was time to build course then you get the diagnosis in the pandemic and you're like is it isn't it I don't know what do we do and we just I said just go for it I'm a realtor we'll figure it out we'll sell one of them we'll sell them both doesn't matter we'll figure it out let's just do this and I really am glad that we did there was some hesitation on if we should family was like I don't know if y'all need to do this that's an awful lot but I think when someone's dealing with a terminal illness it's really important that they have something they have a purpose they have a purpose Mm -hmm. and um, one of his best friends said you know I'm really glad you didn't listen to me um, he said, because Scott called me sitting on the back porch of that house, looking out over the bayou, looking at his boat and going, man, can you believe this in my house? Can you believe that we did this? Me from, you know, graduated from Huffman. And this is my house. And so I'm so grateful that we, that we did that. Yeah. I know like going through, you know, traumatic times like that, there, you always have friends and family, you know, meaning well, and they give you, they want to give you their advice and what they think you should do. Um, and then sometimes I, it's like that advice or, you know, and I even know they're meaning well can be a hindrance. Like you don't know what's best for us, you know, but people think they do. And what I found is like from, you know, couples going through different traumatic experiences, they listen to their own instincts and they're like, this is what we should be doing. Mm-hmm even though it might not make sense to the rest of the world, to our friends and family, you listen to your own instincts and it does serve you better that way a lot of the times, right? We had a lot of support. We were very, very fortunate. Um, When the realtor family found out, you know, what we were going through, they collected money. And one of the best things they did for us was they hired a landscaper and a pool person and a housekeeper. And they said, go focus on treatment. And they paid for that for three months. And that's one of the things I want the brigade to be able to do later is to be able to take some of that pressure off of daily life to people. Um, There's a lot of things we want to do with the brigade later, but that was one of the biggest blessings that we had was for people just to say, we've got this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you don't need to go do anything but go 
get your treatment and be done. And it was difficult to get in, but we were fortunate that we were able to find, like I said, the different people to get the right diagnosis and then very fortunate to be able to come back and do it here. But I will tell you, there is nothing worse than dropping your husband off to go into treatment alone. I'm sure. Yeah, I can't imagine. So it was very difficult. <laughs> My best girlfriend, Jenna, told her she needed to do this. She would send us a text every time. And it was, it was themed. It was, I mean, whether it was MC Hammer or, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, it was a themed text about we got this based off something goofy about every time he was going into treatment. You know, and we, the boys and I would go drop him off. We would be with him so he wasn't alone, you know, to go drop him off and pick him up. Mm-hmm. So he might have to have been by himself in there. And I don't know if Dr. Hayes loved or hated me for it, but I would also FaceTime from the parking lot. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to be there. <laughs> Here's the computer. Here, honey, just hit Zoom. And yeah. I made sure that I was there or whatever form that I could be. Because especially after it metastasized to his brain, I mean, and I love Dr. Hayes, but they would sit there and talk about football, and they talk about bourbon. They talked about bourbon. It's in his medical records. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> he has got the best bedside manner. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what Scott needed, was to be able to sit there. And we're on talk about stuff. And the last five minutes, we'll talk about your cancer. Yeah, Which I think that's really, good. It was really, really great. Yeah. But I was, like, losing it because I wanted to know all the things. Mm-hmm. I wanted mm-hmm. all the facts and the statistics and tell me what I'm dealing with. I can handle anything if I just know what it is. But the uncertainty of all of it, God and I had a lot of conversations because I had to learn how to let go and trust. Yeah, and I'm sure for those doc, you know, those doctors when they're talking to those patients, they know well enough, like, I'm not going to sit here and have a conversation with you for an hour about what is going on with you when – you know what, like yeah. the person knows what's going on with them. And I, you know, they're probably like, this is probably the last thing you want to talk about. So let's talk about things that you're interested in, that you love. And then, like you said, the last five minutes I'll interject and yeah. be like, Hey, this is what you need to do. Um, well, Scott's always very positive about everything, even in the middle of all of this. He really didn't go through a slump or a major depression or anything like that. He kept a very positive outlook on everything. Even when like they, his hair was falling out and they shaved his head, I was on the phone on the porch, and I'll never forget, they, he and two of the boys bust through the front door, and he is bald, as bald and big <laughs> as they have just shaved it. And they are just cracking up like they've had the best time. And I'm like, this, it was amazing. It was inspiring because a lot of people would tell me they were being kind to say, I don't know how you did what you did. And I'm like, did you watch who I'm married to? I didn't have a choice. I had to step up just to try to keep up with him because of how he handled all of this. That's amazing. I mean, isn't it one of his mantras? Uh, if you don't mind, it don't matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. That's one of the things we put on the Bailey Brigade stickers is because he, um, he really kind of held to that. And he just wasn't going to let him himself go there. He was going to beat this. And so we really did believe that his, his life was a lot shorter than what we anticipated because we thought, okay, we may not get the twilight years. We may not get our eighties and the rocking chair on the back porch. Okay. But you know, it's going to be shortened somewhat, but we got five or 10 years. We certainly didn't expect it to be 20 months because he had the right attitude and he did everything that you could possibly do to stay positive about it. Yeah. And we would forget that he was honestly sick. I mean, when he would get out there mow the grass or come over to the house and build the cabinets and sand them down and do all the things for the pine beams. And it, it, we just kind of kept rocking and rolling because, oh yeah, dad's got cancer, but it, he just kept going. Yeah. He's not showing it. He's not uh, showing it. Yeah. He's, I mean, strong individual that takes a lot of mental strength as well as physical strength, uh, to, to overcome that. Um, and to like go out there and lead your life. Like, yeah, this is happening, but I'm not going to let it stop me from pursuing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, hats off to him, especially for, for having that attitude. And I'm sure it, it 
probably was like one of the strongest and best examples for your sons as well. It was. It was the grit that he had, the resiliency he had to show to be able to get through it. Because I think I mentioned my aunt and uncle had come over and we were standing on that dock and he was going to tell them something and he got stuck. And if I hadn't been looking straight at him, I would have missed it because it was a blink. And I saw him kind of shake his head and walk away. And it happened again about five minutes later. And I was looking like something's going on. And so we were supposed to go to the doctor that afternoon anyway. And I wound up calling the physician as we were leaving the house. And she said, that's aphasia. Go straight to the ER. And we went straight to the ER. They scanned him. And we found it was in his brain. And I had to go get the boys out of school. And they were calling it aphasia? The aphasia is where he couldn't speak. Uh, where he couldn't, he it was in his head, and he knew what he needed to say, but he couldn't get the words out. Yeah, my dad has that right now. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah we've been learning a lot about it uh, over the past couple of years, and obviously it's uh, gone into, I mean, and it's aphasia is like early onset of Alzheimer's, okay. pretty much. It, it, that's what it ends up uh, turning into eventually. Okay. Um, but yeah, I know how frustrating it is when someone, I mean, I'm not trying to, Say I, I, you know, but it is frustrating when someone you love does have aphasia, and you can see that they're frustrated because they know what they have to say, exactly. but they can't think of the, they can't get the words out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes, it was a shock to find out it had metastasized. I went and picked the boys up from school, brought them to the hospital. They took him by ambulance over to Pensacola. We're thinking we're fixing to go into brain surgery the next morning, like with the gamma knife. They could do all this stuff over there. And unfortunately, they came back and said, there's too many tumors. We can't do anything surgically, you know, for him. So mm-hmm. um, we started radiation uh, with the radiation oncologist Monday morning. His 53rd birthday was the next day. So that's how he celebrated that one in 2020. In 2020. And then he beat it. He cleared it. He took, he did 10 days of radiation and we were able to get all of it gone um, probably by January. So we're back to Back to the things, back to basketball, back to all the things. Then in probably about May of that year, he started having headaches again. And so we went to uh, Birmingham this time to their radiation oncologist. And where the cancer had presented this time was in the folds of his brain in the back. And we did pinpointed, because you can only do so much of that really high concentrated whole brain radiation. Yeah. And so they were able to go in and pinpoint specific areas. Made it through that, went and played golf, kept building the house. August, we moved in, which was fantastic. And then in September, I started to notice that he was sleeping a lot. But he was doing so well, they said, we're going to take a month off of treatment. You don't need any more radiation right now because you're doing so well. But then he started sleeping more, and I started advocating, fussing, nagging. Mm, Something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. I want an MRI. I would like to see this. I'd like to see that. And sure enough, um, it was back. And uh, this was November by now. I actually was in um, California for a realtor event. I was in a leadership program. And I had purposefully had my brother-in-law go with Scott because Scott would always tell everybody he was doing great. And he was because if you looked on the outside looking in, he was doing great. But I could see where the balance wasn't there, where thir- you know, how much he was sleeping, the headaches were really starting to bother him a lot, and he wouldn't tell anybody. And so I wanted, they needed to see it for themselves. So yeah. <laughs> how awful is this? They're both going to chemo. They're both going to treatment. So my brother-in-law has to go to his bladder treatment. 
Scott's got the appointment with the radiation oncologist, and I know what they're I'm in my head. I know what they're going to say. We need to do another round. We took a month off. We need to do another round. Yeah. What I didn't expect them to say was that we can't do anything else. It's which was it had gone into his um, cerebral spinal fluid, and once it went into that, it went everywhere, and we lost him within six weeks of that. Um, but it was he played golf. I mean. On his birthday, we, we went into hospice. We we thought you could go, and they told us, you can go into hospice and you can come back out of hospice. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, we just got to figure this out. Just give it a minute. Um, he played golf on his birthday. had the whole family come. He's doing great still. The first weekend in December, I had friends in town because we had a realtor event that weekend, and I noticed he was wobbly. So I said, let me go get you, a, I'm going to get you a cane. I'm afraid that you're going to, you know, fall off. I'm not here. I had ring cameras put in the house in case one of us wasn't home, so I'd know if he'd fallen. Um, and I think we went from a cane to um, we went from a cane to a hospital bed in 10 days. And then we lost him on the 28th of December. So it was like a three-week just down, yes. downward spiral. How When they told you, I'm sure they told him as well, like there's nothing else we can do, um, this is it. Uh, how did he take that at that time? Well, I was in California, and so he was with his brother, and uh, he just kind of took off for the day. Um, he said he was going to play golf, and he was in Birmingham, which was home, and they were staying with his mom, and I got a text. I'm okay. I need a minute. Mm-hmm. That's all I got, and he just disappeared for four or five hours, supposedly playing golf. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, sure processing. Processing. Yeah. Processing, and then he and his brother drove back home the next day. I flew in. And we had to figure out how to tell the kids. Oof. Yeah. That's got to be. We were really open with them. We had been the whole time. Um, we had decided we were going to, we have morbid sense of humor. Like we would, <laughs> it's, we got through it. And people would just be mortified. <laughs> when they, I'm like, you have to do whatever you can to make it through. Yeah. And it's better to be straight honest and yeah. be like, this is what's going on. Uh, you know, I, that's also something I've seen with couples, you know, as they, they go through traumatic events and they have, do have children. It's almost better, even though it's probably one of the hardest things to do, is tell them the God's honest truth, like, yes. hey, this is what's happening. Um, because I think, you know, as adults, you're like, oh, I don't want to put this burden on our young ones, you know. But the truth is, is like, they're going to handle that better than you shielding them from it, and then eventually the inevitable is going to happen. And then they're going to be like, what? Why did this happen? You know what I mean? Um, we had to be real with them because you couldn't tell it looking at Scott. You know what I mean? Other than he had started to sleep so much, yeah. you know, that dad was resting again. But other than that, you couldn't tell it, and he wouldn't tell you because he was just not a complainer. I mean, he would about his headaches. He liked head rubs. He's like, that would just relieve his headaches and that's how we'd start every day and we would go from the bedroom to a cup of coffee to he'd lay down on the couch put his head in my lap I'd have my computer and I would work and I would rub his head and we would stay there until I couldn't feel my legs (laughs) and then I would ease out and that's also something I would say I wish I'd stayed with him in my head while he was sleeping was my opportunity to go run around let me go get all the things done. Let me get the grocery. Let me handle some work. Let me get out of the house for a minute because yeah. I was there a lot, that kind of thing. And I, I know he didn't know that I was gone because he was sleeping. And I was there when he woke up most of the time. I was there when he went to sleep. But I didn't know I would need to have stayed longer. 
that I would miss that time. Yeah. So if anybody's going through something like that, I would, I would just caution them and say, you, you can't see it in that moment, but you may wish later you had stayed yeah. and just been in that, been in their presence, even if they didn't know you were there. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, that's some advice that only a few can give. Um, so yeah, I have a ridiculous library of resources. If people want to know what books helped me, I'm a huge nerd and I have so many books on everything and I found a lot of really great resources as a caregiver for him uh, going through treatment and then about grief as well. So, I mean, he, he passed in November. Uh, December. December. I'm sorry. December. Um, we made it through Christmas. That was the big question. Are we going to make it through Christmas? On the advice of the hospice nurse, we moved our family Christmas up a week. Uh, so we did it a week ahead of time, had the whole family over, did all the presents, the meal, the whole nine yards, and uh, we made good memories. Yeah. And then, like I said, it was really fast after that that he went to Kane Walker wheelchair hospital bed. How would your kids handle you first telling them? And then, I mean, it just progressing so fast. Was there, surely there's some just, I guess the kid almost like denial. Dad seems fine and yeah. like he's going to beat anything. And There was some of that, you know, um, they were stoic. Like, like their father and you know, I don't have a girl. So these boys aren't super chatty. <laughs> so there's not a lot of, let's get all our emotions out. Can we yeah. talk about this? How does that make you feel? Um, no, they, uh, they had the example set for them of I'm fine. You yep. know what I mean? And so it's been two years now and I worry about that a lot. You know, are you fine? Are you processing? Um, there hasn't been a lot of collective grief. You know, I try to check in. The 28th will roll past every month, and I'm like, do I text them, do I not? Do I acknowledge today's the day, or do I not? I know a lot of folks sent us stuff. His mom in particular sent us a lot of stuff, like the Cardinals after he died and the obituary on a plaque and all these kinds of things. And we had made a decision that our grief was going to be celebrating his life, not the day he died. Mm -hmm. And so we really just – I talk about him a lot to the point where people think he's living, and I have to go, oh, oh, no, sorry – and I hadn't quite figured all that out socially. There's a great book called Newly Widowed, Socially Awkward. It's the best book on the planet uh, because it really helps you kind of understand, you know, how what you're going through is for you and what it's like for other people. Yeah. I actually have bought a book. I thought a big book person while he was sick, and it was the um, etiquette of illness. And my girlfriends took that, so we're throwing that away. We don't have to care what everybody else is thinking about right now. We don't need to make everybody else comfortable, Michelle. We're gonna exactly. we're gonna burn that one. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> they, they took that one away from me. What was what was the book on like how to act when? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what the <laughs> hell? Yeah, like there's a book for everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I bought them all, but that was one that needed to go to the wayside. Well, I just wanted people to be more comfortable, you know, because like I said, it's just awkward. They don't know what, people don't know what to sure. do. And I've been around people who have lost people since I've lost Scott. And I, I wind up going back into the same things. And I'm like, God, even I know better. But yeah. you don't know what to say. Yeah, for sure. When my dad, when my dad passed, one of the best pieces of advice that I got was uh, from a buddy of mine who's a counselor. And he said, hey, Dave, ev- just remember when he was dying, he was like, just remember everyone handles death differently. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I didn't. And then again, he's like, hey, Dave, just remember, everyone handles death differently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Because I took it when he first passed. I went into work mode and was, you know, I was looking up all his insurance policies. My dad nice. had mounds and mounds of paperwork and trying to figure out passwords and, and trying to look at his will. He actually had a section in his will 
called called if David is not sober <laughs> section <laughs> that was like he doesn't get any <laughs> it's like but he uh but like through that my sister started mourning before he even passed right like you just you handle death yeah. death differently and i think like throughout the years i've began to like mourn him more and you know it was just in the moment that's not how i hand i stoked up and Oh, year two was way harder than year one. Year one, yeah. you're in shock. But I can yeah. remember the surrealness of some of the stuff we were dealing with because Scott didn't really acknowledge that he was dying. And we would have moments of we had to have certain things we had to deal with, but we didn't have the conversations that you would hope to have with your spouse of how do you want me to handle this? What would you want me to do with the kids? We just couldn't go there. Uh, but I remember the one thing we did do was pick out plots. And he is buried on the historic cemetery that I know pipe. Your foundation does flags, I think. On. Yes. Yes, so that's where he's buried. And so we had gone by to pick out his plots, and we had gone to the doctor that morning. We had to meet the cemetery guy there, and we're like, okay, well, this is weird. And then I had to drop off some chicken soup for a friend with COVID, take him back home, and then go show property. And then by, like, 4 o'clock, I'm going, what is what, what just yeah. happened? <laughs> you know, in the last four or five hours. Like, I can't, you know, really deal with that well that's a I'm lot to process with. yeah right? and i didn't um, do a lot of that you know you just kind of i got really proficient at shoving it down um which is one way to get through it but then it takes yeah, the processing it just extends the processing that's all it is i um, mean that's i mean i think we're all guilty of doing that i i definitely am a, a expert at shoving <laughs> things down and you know repressing it until and it's i think it's one of those things where you learn over time like okay I need to start learning how to process stuff a little bit better than trying to shove it away because I think you end up finding out that you can shove it down as much as you want. It's going to surface at some point. Um, and it might may not come out the way that you completely can control or understand. Well, um, and like you said about everybody processes grief differently. I was I did go into therapy again after he passed away, and I just so wanted to make sure my kids were equipped to be able to deal with this. And she had made the comment that my couch is full of people who never processed things. They kicked the can down the road because they lost X, Y, and Z person in their life at whatever time. And so I was just kind of hell-bent on, I'm going to make sure my kids don't do that. And what I had to realize is I can't control how they're going to grieve what I don't want them to do is use the fact that their dad died as an excuse you know for the rest of their life for why I can't do x y and z you know what I mean like I'm really make themselves victims yes don't play the victim card on this I want you to honor your dad you know on I have a lot of drive because of that I'm still here um I don't want to get out of bed but he can't you know, it's probably a little bit of survivor stuff, too. You know, why me? Although I've, I mean, God and I have had many conversations, too. Like, I'm happy to go sit with the angels and hang out at your feet. I'm going to tap out and let him come back down here and deal with all this mess right now. <laughs> like, there is water pouring out of the ceiling of the living room right now. I've got a leak in the bathroom. Can't figure out where it's coming from. Hydra Scott will be there today at 3. You know, like, I'm just like, can I, can I go? Can yeah. I go hang out with the angels? And it's just, you had to have that conversation and go, why did he leave me? I think the boys needed their dad, and God said, "No, we need. They needed you." And I'm like, "No, I really yeah. needed him." But we're Ooh. figuring that part out. So yeah, I know. Obviously, um, after his death, when when did you come up to start doing the Bailey Brigade? Um, 
Well, we didn't mean to. Uh, we didn't plan to start a foundation or a board or anything like that. I had spent eight years on the realtor board, and that was the last thing I wanted was to be on another board of directors, frankly. <laughs> uh, but we did, and in lieu of flowers, uh, well, let me back up a, um, a couple of weeks, if that's okay. Yeah. The basketball okay. team at South Walton, so my boys play basketball. My younger two play basketball. All my boys are ginormous. They're over six feet, 6'3", um, 6'4", and 6'1". And um, they, the youngest two played basketball at the school. And so they did a fundraiser for us uh, right before Christmas break where they wound up paying for Scott's private nursing care. Mm-hmm. And it was very kind of them. Everybody wore purple. Um, a friend dyed 80 pairs of, you know, socks purple with writ dye because they couldn't get them in on time which was hilarious when they took their shoes off everybody had purple feet because the dye had stained their legs <laughs> from like the calf down it was awesome but they raised enough money to pay for his private nursing care because that's about forty dollars an hour and scott with the steroids and everything that he had been on he had gained a lot of weight and he was up to about 250 and i'm transferring him you know it's me learning how to transfer him from the bed to the wheelchair wheelchair to the couch and all this kind of stuff and it got to the point where he couldn't help anymore and I couldn't do that. And we needed yeah. the nursing care to be for there. Sure. So it was amazing what they did for us and paid that you know, forward for us. And so um, with his service, I did a GoFundMe in lieu of flowers to do a GoFundMe. And the thought was that we'll pay that forward to somebody else. Because I'd now had a great nurse or two that I could say, hey, next time you interview with somebody, if they can't afford you, call me because I want to pay this kindness forward because people were so nice to us. And what I didn't expect was that we raised $27,000 in two or three days um, from that. And we're like, oh, now what? What do we do now? And we weren't quite sure. We were in, you know, in the midst of grief. Even though we'd seen it coming, it still takes you out when it actually happens because you can't believe this just actually happened. And then you had to kind of process it. But we set up the foundation pretty quick. I have an attorney friend uh, who set it all up. And it started with the logo of... Well, I call it Duck, Duck, Goose because he hunted everything. And I'm like, I don't know if it's a duck or a goose. And his brother said it best. He said it didn't matter. He killed them all. Yeah. So <laughs> we've got the the logo based off that. And um, we're like, what are we going to do with this foundation? So I went, we were trying to guess what to do. We'd raised too much money to just pay for private nursing care. So I went to Dr. Hayes and his nurse, Jamie, and said, where's the need? And from there, we found out that breast cancer patients get a bag when they start treatment. And no one else does. So... I wasn't okay with that. I'm not a everybody should get a trophy mom, but I am every cancer patient should get a bag human. And so we decided we would put together these bags and actually brought one if you want me to show people what's in it and everything. But we wanted to fill it with comfort care items that they would need as part of their treatment. And also because Scott had started chemotherapy alone because of COVID, um, a lot of people may have to start it alone because their family's not here. Whatever reason, when you sit down in that chair by yourself, we want people to know they're seen and heard and cared for and supported. So that's where the the bag idea came from, and I didn't sleep a lot that first year, so I would sit up, up on Amazon and order all the things, and I themed out all the bags, and it's got like 35 different products in it that will help them in their chemotherapy, and then um, that's kind of where that idea spawned was what the basketball team did originally, raised more money than we expected, went to the doctor and said, what can we do? And so April of last year, we delivered our first round of bags. And we've given, I think, 150 bags out now. And unfortunately, um, this year, they're expecting to do one a day. We have somebody new locally that's starting chemotherapy treatment, not breast cancer. So there's more than that. But yeah. every, all the other cancers are about one a day at Dr. Hayes' practice. <clears throat> so. so each one of those patients will get a bag. Yes. 
Yep. And then what are they say? You you can uh, if you want to pull out the bag and we, uh, um, sort of. we put our little Duck Duck Goose logo on there, and uh, we have things inside the bags. We have a little rack card for them, and on the back is a QR code. So, like, if someone has a discount that they want to offer, like a free yard mowing or a discounted house cleaning or something like that, that's a patient-only QR code. Takes them to a page of our website where they can see who oh, nice. I have partnered with us to be able to give discounted services or free services to the patients or caregivers. So, so if someone's a specialist in some or has some sort of service or anything that would they help can them sign up as a partner. Absolutely, oh, whether cool. it's a discount on lawn care, uh, like I said, or pool or housekeeping. Yeah. Those things were huge for us when we started treatment to just 100%. not have to worry about how is that going to get done because it was just handled. Um, awesome. And then we have local churches and schools will do, the, they love this the most, the kids, um, when they write the notes to them. And so we try to fill these with two or three. And then my um, girlfriend, Jen, is the art teacher at Emerald Coast Middle School. And so she has the art club do the Kindness Rocks project. And so we put a rock in everybody's as well. This one says hope. This one says I love you very much. And they painted it like <laughs> a strawberry. Um, this side is the entree, which this is a like a cancer Gatorade, essentially. Uh, we can only afford one. They're about $5 a bottle, but we did get the manufacturer to give us a discount. And so there's a coupon inside the bag where they can order these. And this is basically going to replenish what their body needs when they're going through the infusions. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really important thing to do. We gave them a comfy blanket because you need to get cozy because it's always freezing in the chemo room. Oh, I'm sure. And then we've got like a whole bunch of different bags in here that I'll just kind of touch on briefly with some of them. And each, them. each one of these are like partnered manufacturers that have partnered with you? No, we buy it all. Okay. No, we buy it all. Um, that's where the donations come in and where we do that. Now, we did get a donation. This is the first round of bags. Um, Mary Kay, Faith Gladding, is a rep for Mary Kay, and she's also a patient of Dr. Hayes's. And okay. she found out what we were doing, and she started donating full-size products, which we had not had before. Wow. Oh, that's so we've awesome. got full-size products. And that was one of the biggest things was having quality skin care because your skin breaks down. Yeah. And a lot of times people would go to the dollar store, especially on the low-income side of things, and the products they were getting to put on their body were worse than. Yeah, I imagine. Know? So having... Uh, Faith be able to donate these Mary Kay products was really huge, but also like a body wash, a lip balm, a hand lotion, cozy socks, and then um, we have the that's the what was that one called self care for yourself, and then we have mind over matter because it's also the mental side of it, and so we have the little journals are called the daily pause where they can write about it. We give them a brigade pen, and we include Rick Warren's purpose driven life book so they know there's a purpose to what they're doing, and then Trust Smart Bank actually did step up and they donated. Um, coloring books for us so we did the adult coloring books with the colored pencils in there as well for just a mindless activity they can do to kind of escape and then we have are you all wiped out which is all the wipes you know because their immune systems are compromised so being able to wipe everything down also bath wipes if they're at a point where they can't get out of bed one day because their recovery is too difficult we have bath wipes purell clorox tissues that are in the that bag but this is my favorite it's the feel better tum tum and there's the ginger's really good, peppermint and lemon are really good for nausea, but the queasy pops. So we buy these. We were just able to upgrade the size because of some donations that we received. We were putting like two or three of the little lozenges in, and then we were able to do a whole 21-piece queasy pop. This really helps with the nausea from the chemotherapy, which is fantastic. And then we have, for the health of it, um, we've got the, the body stuff, the Miralax, the Band-Aids, the Tylenol, that there's a lot of heartburn and antacid, so we have that as well. 
um, in the health of it and a thermometer because some of the patients can't even afford a thermometer. So, and it doesn't matter what your income is, you get a bag no matter what. So, we also do the copay assistance, which we talked about before, um, earlier. On yeah, you can for hit, some of the low income. Get on that again. Sure. Uh, sure. Well, the brigade does three things: backpacks is one, but copay assistance is another. So we offer anyone that applies with Dr. Hayes's office for payment assistance through Ascension. That if they qualify for that, then we can also offer copay assistance as well. It's limited because our funding is limited, and we we uh, cover about five hundred dollars a month in copay. So that might be ten patients one month. It might be twenty the next. It just depends on how many people are in treatment. Yeah. Um, the other bag that's in here is Hydration Station, and it's got the coupon that I mentioned for the Entree product. And then it also has, like, emergency, like liquid IV. I saw you had one. It's got liquid IV to replenish their body. Um, also the ginger and honey again, immunity, that kind of stuff. So this is what I did at night. It was very therapeutic to just kind of come up with everything that was in here. And I met with Jamie and uh, God bless the Amazon man who comes to my house and delivers all this stuff gets delivered to my house. And then my kids and I will break it down. I've got uh, members on my board that will come over we've done it a couple different ways. The first time we packed the bags, we did it at the high school and the kids got their community service hours, which was great. So, oh, cool. but we brought everything in, lined it up in the cafeteria and then we went through May or may not have had some QC issues on that. I wound up having a, I like have multiple three of these in one, two of these in another yeah. one. I'm like, okay, well, maybe not. Maybe we're not going to do that one again. <laughs> um, so we had the realtors back at the next time. But we'll have packing events, and people can sign up online if they want to be a volunteer to be able to help us pack the bags. Uh, that's one way they can do that. And where, where can they sign up for to do that? On our website, baileybrigade.com. It says okay. if you want to volunteer, it'll just send us an email and we'll add you to the list. Um, the need isn't as much on the volunteer side. It really, we've gotten this part down to a science. And I got a storage unit, so it's all out of my garage, finally. <laughs> and we just spent, the two of the girls on the board just spent the last weekend actually organizing everything. So we've got the merch over here. We've got zones. Nice. We've got pre-packed bags. We've got 90 bags sitting on the ready. So we pack by, 90, by three months so that we're ready. And then um, typically I'll drop them off because it's just right around the corner from my house to the doctor's office. I'll check in with her every other week to say, how many bags do you have? What do you need? How many starts do you have? And I'll go drop the bags off, kind of like Food for Thought does. Mm-hmm. What I, what I really like about this is that you're giving you're giving pathways for people that want to help. Like people hear a story, and they're moved. They want to help. They I mean, people have all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different. You know, sometimes it's just here's some month like a monthly yeah. money, or here is my services, or here's and you're giving pathways for people that want to actually. Whether it's time or funding or whatever, absolutely. We welcome it all. Nothing is going to go wasted. We, we need all of it. The, the money is the biggest part because sure. we don't want people to drop off like chapsticks. You know what I mean? Like the bags. Yeah. So we want to have the same quality across all the bags because I've had a lot of questions about that. You know, can, can I bring this? Can I bring, I've got 10 backpacks. Can I bring those? And we decided that we really wanted it to be the same. And what's been really great is the people bring the bags back with them. So that's been really reassuring to hear from the doctor's office that they see them come in with their backpacks. Oh, you know that's I mean? really and cool. They're branded and we know they're ours and, you know, we know they're getting used. And that's one way that we know they're getting used because we can see it. It says Bailey Brigade right on the outside of the backpack. We've had people come to us for family members in other parts of the country that they don't have anything like this. Could we, can, hey, can I buy a bag? You know, and so we've done that a couple of times and let people buy a bag and ship it to their family member as well, which is something we would like to be able, as we grow, to expand to do on the website. Yeah. Is when people find out about this. But 
we want to like kind of like Tom's shoes, buy one get one. Yeah. So if we want to buy one, we want to make sure it provides one for a local chemo patient yeah. because all of our money stays local right now. So if we're giving getting a bag outside of our local area, we want to make sure that it benefits a patient here. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think the big, you know, people want to help out. Um, I think the, the big ask is that you donate some funds so you can keep uh, That's doing this, need, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it because is. you guys are small. We don't have a source of uh, funding right now. Uh, yeah. We are trying to come up with some signature events that we can start doing year over year. <clears throat> Basically, we have been doing um, the T-shirts and hats with the school. I've done a couple T-shirt fundraisers online, which was more brand awareness and trying to get the word out about what is the Bailey Brigade than real fundraising. We were very fortunate last year. Uh, good friends of mine used to own the First Watches, and they did two soft openings, and they've given us over $7,000 in donations from their soft openings. That's the cool. Derman family's been a huge supporter. That's awesome. It's been really great. Um, but now they're retired from that, so I'm like, okay, well, we <laughs> that's not going to go on anymore. But we also are looking for like a, maybe a father's day event that we can do the block party in my backyard that I mentioned uh, we're probably going to do that again this year and probably throw in some wings and maybe some bourbon and maybe beer some, some cornhole <laughs> probably <laughs> probably I'm for sure going to do that uh, and we're going to try to expand that event to be a signature event but we're going to start small and then grow the biggest thing we could use is a subscription model because if you get a one-time donation, it's hard to build a budget off of that. So for it's sure. hard for me. You don't to, know when the next one's coming. I don't know when the next one's coming. And right now, for the first time since we started, we're below our threshold of what we got from the funeral. So that $27,000, we're now below that threshold. So now we're working in a when do we run out phase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't want to run out. We want it. The feedback's been so positive about this and the patients really enjoy it. We really care about what's useful to them also. We just created a patient survey, actually, to be able to give to them that's going to go in the treatment rooms and in the waiting rooms, and it's a QR code that they can scan. It's like, give us feedback. What are we doing well? What didn't you use? There's no need to put it in here just to fill it. We want everything in this bag to be really useful for the patients. And then we want to build out so much more in the future where we can help caregivers and we can partner with um, local medical clinics as well to be able to offer how to eat healthy, how to take care of the caregiver. You know, yeah. I mean, like the, it sounds crazy, but like even a massage for the caregiver, something like that. The, the people, there's so many ways people don't think that they can help a cancer patient or the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a nail tech, for instance, you're not thinking that. But for somebody who's taking care of somebody 24-7 yeah. to be able to go and have an hour where they get their nails done it's needed. at half price or free would be amazing. So there's so many things that we, we really want to do um, as we grow in the future. And I know the community the community did this because the community supported us. And so I know the community will rally behind what we're trying to oh, do for sure. and continue to support us. And then maybe we can expand to other doctor's offices and, and scale out to be outside of the local community as well. I hope so. Yeah, and it sounds like yeah, you're on the right track. I mean, I mean, what you're doing now is is inspirational. I think you know, um, it's. I know I say this a lot about on every podcast. My favorite quote is, you know, "This pain will serve you well someday." Um, and I think you are the epitome of that quote. You know, after what you went through, and then now what you're doing now to take care of others, um, not just the person who has the cancer, but also the caregiver as well, because you're well-versed on both. And uh, I think that's what, you know, makes you so unique is being able to turn a situation like that into good and not being the victim, you know, and 
pushing forward and helping others that are put in that same predicament. Um, well, it's his legacy. Like I said, he persevered and powered through, and he showed us how to do this as good as you can in the face of such adversity, for sure. And I had, especially my therapist had asked me right before we did the block party, why are you doing this? Like a lot of people will just be in the grief. And I had to really sit down because I didn't have an answer. And I'm like, I don't know. It just happened. And then I, d- I wanted to peel back more of those layers to say why. And I finally figured it out. I don't want him to be forgotten. Yes. This is his legacy. Everybody should have known Scott Bailey. But if you didn't know Scott Bailey, you can know who he was and what he represented and the kind of man that he was, um, which there are a few of in this world, mm-hmm. you know, that are just good, strong wonderful giving he was everybody's best friend you didn't nobody disliked scott (laughs) you know what i mean if you met him you would be like oh yeah we're going to get a beer i mean it's just that guy yeah and this is how i can make sure he's never forgotten and my boys will always know their father will be remembered through this even by people who never got to meet him and i didn't mention the third thing we do um but i don't want to forget about the scholarships because we did have amazing nursing care for the most part some hiccups with hospice but we had some amazing nurses along the way and we really want to make sure that kids that have a heart to do this because it's it's hard it's a difficult task to be a nurse especially you know someone that's dealing with the dying and so we're offering two uh, scholarships for South Walton seniors. We did it last year, and I got to go present the scholarships, which was really awesome with Jen. And then we're doing it again this year, and the scholarship will open, I think it's March 1st on our website, where people can go and apply, and they have to write a little essay and all that good stuff. And then the board will select who's going to be the recipients this year. But that's another reason we want funding is we want to be able – it's only $500 right now. I'd like to be able to increase that to 1000 or 2500 or do $5,000 scholarships. There's just – we need – good people in the nursing field and oh, the health sure. sciences field and doctors too. Like this is prevention month, right? If we prevention's the cure. Yeah. Is, is let's stop getting cancer. If we can do that, then it would be an amazing feat. Well that's amazing. I mean, this is all amazing what you're doing. Um it's and like you said, the the scholarship thing is I think is huge as well because people can't under underestimate like just what a good nurse or a good doctor with good bedside manner and what that can do for an individual and their spirits and, you know, keep them going. Um, Witnessed it firsthand with Dr. Hayes and Scott. I mean, they were, they were friends. I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing and we just need people like that to continue to step up and go into that field. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we'll leave links down uh, below. Great. And uh, I just encourage everyone that, Here's just, here's the story, um, to give in some form or fashion. Um, and it, it may not be much, but like if a lot of people do that and it can really help. Every uh, little bit counts. We fact, we uh, fashioned it after St. Jude. So it's like $19 a month. Yeah. It literally, the low end of the subscription is, is $19 a month or as much as you want to give or one time. Yeah. Anything helps. Yeah. Yeah. percent. I don't see how you could not. I mean, this is like probably one of the purest things you could do, um, to come out of a, a tragedy like that. So, you know, God bless you. Thank you. God bless your kids, you know? Um, and, um, I think it's just awesome that you guys are living a Scott's legacy and keeping his name alive and telling his story, his, you know, his attitude, um, throughout the whole thing. Um, I think that's going to be inspirational for, especially for people that are going through it as well. Um, so it really matters what, if you don't mind, it don't matter. That's right. 
<laughs> all right well we'll uh we'll leave it on that then and uh yeah make sure you guys go check out uh the website that we'll put the links below um and donate thank you thank right. you guys. thank you guys for having me i appreciate it so much all right thanks out, out. Bye.